At Cool Air Products, we developed AC Smart Seal Quick Shot with professionals in mind. It's the only product on the market that's three in one with sealant, lubricant, and UV dye all in a single application. It's non-toxic, non-flammable, 100% safe to the touch, eco-friendly, and compatible with all refrigerants. It's a safe solution option, backed by years of R&D, Intertech tested, and has sealed millions of leaks. AC Smart Seal, the professional's choice. This podcast is sponsored by The Master Group, and I'm super proud to say that because Master is blowing up across Canada, and it's great to finally work with a Canadian supplier that is doing such great things in the industry. Now, I'll be heading to Master actually tomorrow because I have about four 20-ton York units to work on that have no heat. Okay, so I'll be heading there in the morning, picking up my parts, and I will be moseying on to the job site and hopefully staying warm up on the roof. So thank you, Master. This podcast is sponsored by The Master Group. Check out master.ca. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the HVAC Know-It-All podcast. If you are an avid listener, thank you for returning. If you are a first-time listener, I welcome you. We have a very important subject to talk about, and that is HVAC and R troubleshooting. Now, you may have clicked on this podcast through an article you were reading called A General Guide to HVAC and R Troubleshooting. Okay, you may have subscribed to the podcast already and you're just listening because you got a notification on your phone. Okay, but don't worry because I'm going to leave a link to the article in the podcast notes so you guys can go back and reference it. So what we're going to do here is talk about a service call. We're going to talk about it in a generalized fashion. Okay, and the steps that we're going to come to and the hurdles we need to cross before we can move on. Because what I've noticed in the past is too many technicians get caught up Okay, and certain ideas and go down these rabbit holes and jump steps and they have a misdiagnosis. Okay, and then they have a callback or they make several trips to the supply house because the first part didn't work. So if you follow these steps, guys, okay, I will guarantee you some sort of successful outcome, but you need to understand the basic principles of refrigeration, electrical and heating, gas, and all of that. You need to understand that stuff, okay? But these basic steps will help you along the way and make your service call a lot more successful. So let's get to that right now, guys. This is the HVAC Know-It-All Podcast. I'm your host, Gary McCready. All right, guys. So listen, this is a general guide. General. When I say general, it means that we're not getting into specifics. Like, for instance... Superheat, subcooling, checking airflow, um, how to check airflow, OEM procedures, local codes. We're not getting into any of that because those are all articles or podcasts on their own. Okay. Now we're going to talk about a generalized service call and how to move through the steps. Okay. Before we begin, just a pro tip, which is also mentioned in the article, it's good to have the appropriate PPE, personal protective equipment, because having this equipment will ensure your safety, like safety glasses, uh, gloves, or electrical gloves if you're working on live equipment. 
perhaps if you're working in a basement, a mechanical room, a crawl space, whatever, and there's gas fired equipment, maybe you want to have a personalized carbon monoxide monitor on you because listen, things can creep up on you. So it's, it's the PPE is very important. It helps keep you safe. A lot of people, yeah, they, they don't want to gear up. Okay. With the PPE because it's bulky and it takes up space and, and this and that. But at the end of the day, I mean, a pair of safety glasses and some gloves are going to go a long way in, in helping keeping you safe, especially electrical gloves, guys, if, you, if you're working on live equipment, because I've, I've been zapped before. Okay, I'm in Canada and we have 575 and one, one leg of 575 is 347 volts. And I've taken that a couple of times and it's not fun. Okay, so just protect yourself and be careful while working on the equipment. All right, so we got to talk about diagnostic tools here. This is really the first step to, to a service call. Now, I talk about the HVAC six Sense quite a bit, and that's basically using your senses to come up with sort of a, an indication of what might be wrong. Like, we can see condensers are dirty. We can smell burnt windings. We can listen for a compressor that's making an odd sound or a fan motor that's making an odd sound. So using your senses is highly important, but it's, it's a general indication of what might be wrong. We need to throw on some diagnostic tools to ensure that what we think or what our senses is telling us is actually accurate and is actually what's happening. So the first tool I'm going to talk about quickly is the manifold gauge. Now we have two options there. We can go smart probe, digital, so actually three options. We have a digital manifold, digital smart probes, or we can go, what I like to say now is old school because of the advancements in the trade, is a is an analog compound manifold. Now when I say compound, that just means it can read in a vacuum. It can read um, positive pressure and negative pressure. So basically a digital gauge that can read positive and negative is also a compound gauge, okay? So we have two kinds, digital and analog, right? Now it's up to you what you want to use, whatever you're more comfortable with, but I suggest you know how to use both. All right. Because at some point you might be handed a set of gauges and go, go troubleshoot that. And if you don't know how to use a digital gauge, you're going to be lost. If you don't know how to use an analog gauge, you're going to be lost. Okay. So in my opinion, it's best to know how to use both sets. And then we have the smart probes. The smart probes, they they link d- directly via Bluetooth to a mobile application, right? You screw them on your system. I have the Testo smart probes. And you clamp the, the, the clamps onto the system and you connect it to your mobile device, your phone or your tablet, and you can see all the readings on, on the one screen. You can do that with a digital manifold too with the one screen, but you don't have... You, you, you can't see it on your phone with a lot of them. Some of them you can't. Some of them has the, the Bluetooth option there so you can see on your mobile device. So the manifold gauge is very important because you're going to be able to check your pressures, which translates into saturation temperatures. And saturation temperatures are very important, right? How the system is performing. We have saturated condensing temperatures and saturated suction temperatures. So... A manifold gauge, guys, you need it as one of your diagnostic tools when you're going to troubleshoot. You're going to need a temperature sensing device 
along with your manifold gauge set. Now, if you're working with an old school analog gauge, needle gauge, remember that it's compound as well, you're going to need a secondary device, like a temperature meter that can measure temperature. Now, back in the day, I had one of those, and what I'd do is I would strap my Type K thermocouple, tape it on to the to the suction line or the liquid line and try if I had some some insulation and put that over top so the ambient air wasn't affecting the reading okay so if you're working with an old school gauge set and when I say old school gauge set you know what I mean by now right if you're working with one of those you're gonna need a secondary device that measures temperature and some of those temperature meters they come with you can get clamps that plug into them so you can clamp them to the pipe as well instead of taping because I don't know if you guys have, have ever tried to tape a uh, type K thermocouple to a suction line that's wet, but good luck. It's very, <laughs> it's very, very difficult at times. So how do we check superheat and subcooling anyway? Just, just quickly, this is not in depth, but if we have our saturated suction temperature that we can read on our gauge, we check the actual pipe temperature of the suction line. Okay, so let's say the saturated suction temperature is 40 degrees. And our actual line temp is 50 degrees. Well, we do the math. We have 10 degrees of superheat right there. Subcooling, same thing. If we have a saturated condensing temperature of 110 degrees and our liquid line temp, actual line temp, with our temperature meter is 100 degrees, we have 10 degrees of subcooling. Very, very simple. Now, Digital gauges and digital probes, they, they will come with a, a temperature sensing device that usually clamps onto the piping. All right. Now, a digital manifold, you will have to plug them in most likely. Okay. Smart probe, variety. Um, you don't have to plug them into anything. It just links back to the mobile device. Wireless, Bluetooth. Now, there is an exception to the rule because there's a, there's an app called MeasureQuick that's that's working with a lot of um, newer smart uh, manifolds. Like for instance, the Testo five five seven, which I own. You can actually use the smart probes, so you can I can take the the probes that come with the five five seven, put them back in the box. I can take the smart probes, I can use those and connect to MeasureQuick which is very interesting. So I can go completely wireless there with the 557 due to the advancement in technology. So there is our temperature sensing device. We need it, okay, to check superheat and subcooling. 100% we do every single time. All right, so the multimeter. The multimeter is gonna be your best friend because most problems that I come across and, and others come across in the field are mainly electrical issues. Now you need to be good at using a multimeter. All right. Now I suggest like there's, there's so many different kinds of meters out there. There's a lot of meters out there. Now I suggest you buy one that has as many functions as possible that pertains to your trade. Obviously we're talking about HVAC here. Now a really good one, which I've owned for, for a really long time is the Fluke 902 FC because you can check voltage, ACDC, you can check resistance, you can check capacitors, okay, and you can check um, microamps of a flame signal, 
like of a furnace. If, you, if you're having problems with a furnace, you can check microamps. Okay, these these things are really important in a meter that's that's built for HVAC. Because if you just buy a meter that has amps, voltage, and ohms, that's cool. But if you come across a capacitor that needs to be tested or a flame sensor that needs to be checked on a furnace, you don't have the opportunity to check those things. You might have to get another meter in order to do that. So I suggest you get a meter that can do all those functions. So voltage, resistance, amp draw, microfarads, and flame rectification by checking microamps. And then if you want to buy other meters that can do other things later on, there are other meters that can do some, some nice things out there like generate zero to 10 volts DC. Um, so you can test, um, controls and stuff like that. There are meters that, that do that. Um, but for a generalized meter guys for HVAC, find one that can do those specific things because most of the time you won't have to pull out another meter in that case. All right. Next tool is a hygrometer. Basically what it is, is a temperature and humidity sensor. It can, it can measure temperature and humidity, wet bulb, dry bulb, dew point. It can give you all of that feedback. Now you can go the old school route and get a sling psychrometer and, and swing it around. Um, I haven't seen one of those in a very, very long time. A digital hygrometer is probably the way to go because you can get so much more information off of it. Okay. And you can use it to check many different things, outdoor temp, indoor temp, supply air, return air. Um, you can use, you can use two of them. You can put one in the return, one in the supply. And if you know the airflow of the system, like 400 CFM per ton, an app, or you can do it manually if you want, but if you're using a smart probe, a lot of them have the apps now that calculate this for you. It'll actually calculate the actual BTU output of the machine. So let's say it's a three ton system, right? And you stick a, a hygrometer in the return, one in the supply, you enter in your airflow, you can actually get the actual output of that system. Maybe that three tons only performing at 2.5 tons. Why? Why is it? Is it maybe on the decline? Is there something going on that we need to rectify? And it's a good um, metric for a customer. Okay. Hey, look, your system is a three ton, but it's performing at 2.5. We need to figure out why and do something about it. So a hygrometer is a super useful tool. Okay. And I do recommend a digital one just because you can get so much more out of a digital one than an old school sling psychrometer where you got to spin it. You got to basically wet a little sock and swing it around in the air, which gives you your wet bulb. And then the other side gives you your, your dry bulb, but digital, you get a little bit more information and you can use it in conjunction with an app and you can spit out actual BTU, BTU output of a machine. Okay. So the next friend in your tool pouch on a service call is a dual port manometer. What can we do with that? Well, we can check a few things with that. We can check gas pressure, like coming into the appliance, coming into to the home or the building. We can check outlet from a gas valve going into a burner. Like we can't set up a burner or diagnose burner issues really without having a manometer if we don't know what the gas pressure is. It's like being blind, right? How do we diagnose anything without knowing what the gas pressure is? Okay. In the article that I posted, there's, um, a video, if you guys go watch it of a rollout condition 
that wasn't really a rollout condition. It was that the gas pressure was too high and the burner was over firing and that heat um, was causing the rollout eventually to trip over time. So that video is in that article that I said is the link is in the podcast notes. So very important for, ch- for checking gas pressure of a gas fired appliance. We can check across um, things like coils. We can check across filters. We can check across an entire air handler if we wanted to. So for instance, if we put a filter in, right, brand new, and the pressure differential across it is X, okay, and we go back later on and we check it and now it's gone up 75% from the original um, pressure, we know that filter is, is becoming restricted. Okay, we can do that with coils as well. So let's say somebody does a, a startup commissioning on a brand new furnace and AC in a brand new home. It's a good thing to, to write the static pressure down across the the entire machine, right? Maybe across the furnace and then maybe across the coil, two separate things, okay? And then those notes are there. And then you go on a service call, uh, the furnace is going off on high limit. You go, hmm, I wonder why. Maybe the coil's plug. So without ripping the entire machine apart, If somebody's done that for you on the original commissioning report, you can go up to that coil and check across it. Now, if the, if the resistance across that is increased by a substantial number, you know that there's a problem with that coil and you might have to pull it out and clean it, or you might have to get in there with a brush and try to clean it or, 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 or replace it if it's that bad. So you can do that. We can check static pressure of duct systems. Okay which is very, very important as well. So that's a dual port manometer and we're not going to get into too much about it. I just wanted to let you know it's a valuable tool on any service call. Okay, so the next one is an electronic leak detector for refrigerants. Okay, now it's through the years, a lot of people had mistrust in electronic leak detectors because of the false negatives they were getting. But Advancement in technology has produced some really, really badass leak detectors in the last couple of years. And you really have to use them properly as well. People move them too fast. Um, you have to go slow. You have to you pace yourself. And you will find leaks with them if you buy a quality one. Guaranteed, 100%, you will. And I think it's a, it's a very valuable tool. And when I get online and I see people that say they only use nitrogen and soap, I mean... Yeah, it's really, you can use that, but it's really going to be hard to find a buried leak in, in an evaporator coil. If you're talking like a big evap, right? Let's say you're talking, let's say you're talking like a 20, 30 ton evap that's got like a few passes. If that, if that leak is buried in there somewhere, it's going to be hard to find with soap and bubbles, right? Um, if the system still has refrigerant in it, use your electronic leak detector. The, the worst thing for me as a tech is to see an apprentice soak an entire system with soap. It's a mess. What I suggest, okay, is go through the system with your electronic leak detector, find where the leak is or the leaks, because there might not be just one. So if you find a leak, don't just stop there. Keep going. Keep going and find potential other leaks that could be in the system. And when you find them, then use the soap to try to verify that the leak is present. So electronic leak detector is your friend along with some soap 
Use both in conjunction and you'll be a lot more successful at finding a leak than you would just soaking the entire thing in soap. So those I think are probably the most important, most generalized tools for a service call. There's other notable tools that are great on service calls, okay? Like a combustion analyzer. It's actually probably should be in one of the the ones that are most important for gas-fired equipment. But a combustion analyzer is a great diagnostic tool. An infrared gun, okay, is good. What's even better is a thermal imager. You can tell so much of what's going on in a system with a thermal imager, like scanning an electrical panel and, and finding loose connections. Because the loose connections, they heat up. And you can find that very easily with a thermal gun. And a thermal gun, I don't think, gets enough credit as a great diagnostic tool for HVAC. But it's starting to make a little bit more headway. So thermal gun, um, we have a rotating vane or hot wire and an ometer as well to, to measure um, airflow. Those can be really good and useful tools if you're doing any sort of balancing of a system. Okay, So those are some notable tools that I think are also important but I think the most important ones we talked about in a little bit more detail. But again, I would like to lump combustion analyzer in with one of the most important tools, especially for gas-fired equipment, because it really it really helps with safety, um, the efficiency of the appliance, and all that kind of stuff. So let's move on, guys, to the next portion of this podcast. So Testo manufactures most of these tools we just talked about and they are affordable and they're badass and they're quality okay so if you're in the market for any of this stuff check out testo's line because they do make some really good diagnostic tools some some apps that will help you along the way blue on has an incredible app with a bunch of toolboxes in there like a nitrogen calculator which i posted on online recently brian johnson was from blue on was demonstrating how that nitrogen calculator is used because nitrogen does change pressure with ambient temperature swings a lot of us learned back in the day that that doesn't happen but it does 100 percent. and there's a calculator that helps you perform a leak check if the temperature has changed while leak checking and the pressure has changed because of it so they also offer 100 percent tech support 24 7 two minute wait time through their app as well anything cooling so if you get stuck on something you can call up blue on the other app that is really good for troubleshooting is the ref tools app by danfoss because it has an incredible refrigerant slider app in there if you want to match up pressure against temperature and all the all the anything you need to know about that specific refrigerant that you dial in to the app it's all there like gwp uh, boiling point all that stuff is right there so while we're on this break guys check out interplay learning because they also have an incredible platform for learning and you can actually do troubleshooting simulations through their platform which which is absolutely incredible okay um guys off the top you heard cool air products the ad now i if you don't know i've been testing out for about three years now AC Smart Seal in various different systems. It's oil-based. It doesn't clog anything. It's not a hack job. If you have a bunch of leaks in an evaporator and you can't get it replaced for the customer um, that specific time because they can't afford it, using this stuff will help. There's a rule of thumb I use. 
if it's leaking more than 20% annually, 20% of its full charge annually, total charge annually, I don't use it. Okay. If, if it's a small, slow leak due to evaporator corrosion, it will work um, and give the customer a runway to a brand new system. Okay. Now, a lot of this stuff we talked about is available at True Tech Tools. They are a fabulous sponsor of the podcast and you guys receive a discount code. Anything in the store, 8% off with code KNOWITALL except for Fluke and FLIR. So let's get back to the rest of the podcast, guys. Okay, before we can begin to troubleshoot any piece of equipment, doesn't matter what it is, we need to understand its sequence of operation. What do, what do I mean by that? Well, we need to know what happens when the machine starts up. We need to know what happens when the machine shuts down. We need to know everything in between. If we don't know what happens first, what happens next, how can we troubleshoot? Okay. A lot of generalized um, sequence of operations are out there. Yes. Like a, a standard furnace. Yeah. It's pretty generalized on, on what happens. Um, on an AC, it's pretty generalized what happens. The, the thermostat calls, okay, sends a signal to the AC or to the condenser unit. Contactor pulls in, compressor starts, condenser fan starts, the indoor fan kicks in, okay. Once it satisfies, kicks off the, the, the condensing unit, possibly kicks off the fan, depending on the settings. So the, these sequence of operations, we need to know those. And those are very simplified, um, but you can come across a a big air handler that does heating, cooling, dehumidification. It's got, um, it's got an economizer on it. It's got maybe carbon dioxide sensors in the building and it's got outdoor air dampers that move back and forth. And you need to know the sequence of operation of, of how all this stuff works. And if you don't know it, you're not going to be able to troubleshoot the system. So how do we, how do we find this out? Well, one way is picking up the manual if it's available and reading through it. A lot of manuals have sequence of operation. Um, calling tech support if you're able to get through. Okay. Calling tech support. The other way to know is by looking at the wiring diagram. The wiring diagram is, is a gateway into how that machine operates. So you need to understand wiring diagrams. And if you don't, I suggest you take the time and you're going to have to do this a lot on your own and understand wiring diagrams. What I used to do is I used to put my finger, if I was doing a heating call, just put my finger on W1 at the beginning and just follow it across. And when I hit something, I would look at the legend, read it. If I didn't know what that specific component was, then maybe I would call tech support. Hey, what is this? And you got to keep doing that over and over and over to understand wiring diagrams because it will tell you everything you need to know about that system, pretty much everything you need to know. So sequence of operations, super, super important. Know them. Okay. Read the diagram to find them out, call tech support or read the manual. Because if you don't know what the sequence is, then you're going to be lost and it's going to throw off the entire service call. Okay. So we have our tools. They're in our truck. We have our PPE and in the back of our heads, we are confident on sequence of operation generally speaking. So now the phone rings, dispatcher's on the phone. I got a call for you. Okay. What's next? Well, 
What I like to do, and sometimes you might not have the opportunity to do this, but what I like to do is try to speak to the customer before I get out there. Just because it's common courtesy to say, hey, I'm coming, I'm coming now, what's happening? Okay, they, they explain to me what's happening. And, and one thing that I'll say to them is, can you get a picture or a video or can you print off some trend logs? I mean, a lot of smart thermostats, perhaps you can get into, into the trend logs and maybe the owner can print them out for you. I, I, I don't know 100%, but if you have access to that, it's very good and valuable information. And I just like to say, hey, I'm on my way. If you can take a snapshot of what's happening right now, that might help me when I get there. Because when I get there, the problem might not be happening. Just just a tip. Don't have your customer start touching the equipment and resetting limits and, and opening panels. Don't have them do that. Okay, that's, that's a safety concern. 100% it is. But if they can stand at a distance and take a little video of a compressor squealing, right? When you get there, you can watch that video. Because when you get there, maybe it's not making that sound anymore. So just, just some advice to get you some pre, pre-info before you head out on the call. Now, here's the thing. And this might sound weird because of what I just said. When you're driving to the call, don't create scenarios in your mind of what might be wrong with the machine. And I'll tell you why. Because let's say... Let's say you go out there, or let's say you talk to the customer. They go, yeah, it's, um, I'm not cooling very well in the home. It's running outside, but I just, can't, I just can't get any cold air out of it. So you might think in your head, oh, it's probably short of gas, probably short of refrigerant. So when you go there, that is in your head. Now you're trying to prove to yourself that it's short on refrigerant, which is, which is a very bad mistake because you're going down a rabbit hole. Okay, you need to start at the beginning of the service call and go through the steps, which we're going to talk about now. And this is step one, is speaking to the customer, letting them know you're coming as a courtesy, trying to get some pre-info. All right. And when you're driving there, do not come up with a scenario of what could be wrong in your head because it can come back to bite you. 100% it can. So once you arrive... Take any info the customer has for you, if they could print trend logs, if they, if they did have a video, if they did have a picture, look at it, analyze it, ask, ask questions. When did it start? How long did it happen for? How long has it been happening for? Is there a pattern you can explain to me? Because all of these things are going to help you. You, you got you to gotta remember, guys, that being a service tech is like being a detective. You have to fit all the puzzle pieces together in order to come up with the right diagnosis. And that's what detectives do. They speak to different people, they gather evidence, and they put it all together to come up with one complete case. And that's what we're doing. Okay. So keep in mind, do not come up with a scenario in your head while you're driving. Just crank up the tunes. Okay. Think about something on HVAC related, because trust me, when you get there, a clear mind will help you off the jump. Okay. So step one was customer communication. Step two is using your senses. Before you do anything, before you open a panel, 
survey the site with your senses. Okay. Have a look around, look for any safety concerns, point them out to the customer. Um, listen, smell, like, I don't know how many times I've walked into a building and right away I know there's a burnt blower motor on the roof because the whole space smells like burnt windings. I get up there. Yep. Burnt blower motor because it's burning out as it's moving air through the space. So these are the things that you can do without pulling a tool out of your, your, your bag. Okay. And it's very important that you do this. Like corroded venting. Hey, that venting's corroded. We need to fix that before we can do anything else. That coil is dirty. Before we test, test this system out, we need to clean that coil. Okay. These are things that you can do with your senses, find with your senses without using any tools. And it's super important. And as I've said in the past, here's a tip for you guys. Okay. A human hand, a human hand is roughly 92 ish degrees. Okay. 92 degrees Fahrenheit, the palm of your hand. If you feel something that's less than the temperature of your hand, it's under 92 degrees. If you feel something that is warmer than your hand, it's warmer than 92 degrees. That's a good indication of warmer and cooler than your hand. You can touch a pipe and if it's the same temperature as your hand, it's cl close to 92 degrees. I mean, that that is a good starting point, a good indication. And what I suggest is over the course of time, before you strap on your temperature probe, feel the light, feel the line, feel the suction line and guess, guess what it is. Make your best guess then strap your probe on and see what it actually is. And over time, you'll find you will start to get better at knowing what that temperature is. Just a little experiment you can run on your own. So using your senses, the initial inspection with your eyeballs is super important before we do anything else. All right, so step three is primary power. We need to check it. We need to know it's there and it needs to be proper before we can move on to the next step of troubleshooting. Okay, an example of primary power is we have a condensing unit. It's 208, it's fed from the breaker panel or the fuse panel. That power feeding that machine, that's the primary power. It has to be right and it has to be present or else we're not going to do anything, right? We're not going to do nothing. Another example, an RTU, like a rooftop, fed 460, like in the US or 575 volts in Canada. If that primary power to the machine is not present and it's not right, there's an imbalance or something like that, then we cannot move on until we fix that problem. Now we, we could go down a rabbit hole here. We could say, well, why is there no primary power there? Because maybe there's a fuse blown. Why is the fuse blown? Do we have a short in the unit? Do we have um, some wire rubbing against the panel? Do we have a dead compressor, a dead fan? These are the things that could cause the power to not be present because a breaker has tripped or a fuse has blown. So we could go down that rabbit hole for a while, but I'm not going to do that because as I said in the beginning, this is generalized. We need to figure out the primary power before we move on to the next part of troubleshooting. And we're then keeping to the same topic of power. The next part, say, say we have primary power, it's back, it's ready to go, it's correct. The next part of that is secondary power, control voltage. 
control voltage will be fed by a step-down transformer. It will come from your primary power, usually. Sometimes there's a couple step-down transformers within a system, um, but let's pretend that we have a primary power step-down transformer to the secondary power control voltage. Okay, so control voltage can be um, in various forms. It can be 24 volts, it can be uh, 120, it can be 208. I've seen 208 systems with, um, I've seen 208 control voltage systems is what I meant to say. And those can be pretty confusing, um, to be honest with you. They're the most confusing circuit I've tried to troubleshoot is a 208 control, um, control circuit. For whatever reason, it's just the nature of the beast. It just, it, it's just confusing sometimes. It can be confusing. But anyway, once we have the primary power, we need to verify if we, we have secondary power. Because if we don't have secondary power, we're not going to have any control voltage moving through the system to the controller or the thermostat or whatever is controlling that machine back to pull in a contactor or to engage a relay for a fan. We're not going to have that. So power is extremely important. We need to check it. We need to have the primary power there first. It has to be present and has to be correct. And then second, we have to have control voltage. It also has to be present and it has to be correct. If those two don't exist, we can't move on to the next step. All right. Step four is flow of a heat exchange medium. What do I mean by that? Well, we need flow like air, water, glycol to be flowing by in order to exchange heat, right? So it's really a heat exchange medium. Most of us are going to be dealing with airflow, but if you deal with chillers or hydronic systems, you, you need to be dealing um, with water flow or glycol flow, which re requires a pump, not a fan. So for instance, if we have a centralized air conditioning system, okay, we have the correct power, right? But the fan is not running. Well, going up to the condensing unit and troubleshooting it is a waste of time because what's going to happen? Well, your low pressure is going to drop right off and start freezing up and you'll be like, whoa, it's out of gas. I've, I've seen apprentices do this, go up to condensing units that are split systems in a building where the air handler's down on like the second floor and they're up on the roof the unit's freezing up and they're looking for leaks and jamming gas into the system, refrigerant into the system, and they didn't even go down and check the blower to make sure we have a heat exchange medium that is flowing. So we need to make sure that the blower is running or the pump is running. We need to make sure the blower or pump is going in the right direction. All right. Now, I'm not going to get into checking... Um, feet per minute and velocity and static pressure and all that, that, that is another topic. That is another podcast. That's another article. You guys just need to know that we need flow. I, w I went to a call recently where we had a bit of a, an, an ice up of an air handler. And I noticed that the motor was wired for medium speed, not high speed. So I, I flipped it over to high speed and it got rid of the problem. Now, 
you need to know a little bit about the systems that you're working on in order to diagnose those types of things. But you need to look out for that. You need to make sure the fan is running, the pump is running, and they're going in the right direction. I don't know how many times I've gone up to a system where the blower is running backwards. An exhaust fan is running backwards. It's very, very important that you know which way the, the, the squirrel cage blower or the backward incline blower is supposed to be turning. If you don't know that, find out, look at it, check the rotation. Okay. Um, with pumps, usually you can verify this. You don't need to open the pump up and look to see which way it's rotating. Usually you can verify this with gauges that are mounted on the system. Okay. There should be gauges in most hydronic systems that are mounted. The supply is obviously going to be a higher pressure than the return to the pump. So that's how we can verify that it's going in the right direction there. So now we've got our power. Okay primary, secondary, and now we've got flow of a heat exchange medium, whether it be water, glycol, or air. Okay. So now we can start the troubleshooting process the right way. All right. So step five is a full on system diagnosis. Okay. What have we done to this point to get here? And remember guys, don't jump steps or you're going to get caught up. Customer communication is the first thing we did. Okay. Talk to the customer, get any data they have, pictures, videos, trend logs, um, stay clear headed on the way to the call. Okay. Visual inspection, rectify anything that jumps out, faulty wiring, dirty coils, so on and so forth. Primary power present, correct. Secondary power present and correct. One thing I should have mentioned in step three, when I was talking about primary power is once you have the correct primary power and secondary power, we should be checking our control device, whether it be a thermostat, building automation system, something along those lines. At some point we need to check it to make sure it's functioning properly. It's receiving power and it's sending signals back out. So any controller has, has inputs like an input is room temperature. That's an input to a thermostat. An output is Y1 leaving the stat going to the condensing unit or W1 leaving the stat and going to the furnace. Those are outputs. We need to make sure that that controller is working and doing the work. And, and here's a pro tip for you guys. If you're troubleshooting something that's maybe tripping the primary power, all right, and you've rectified it and you want to start the system up slowly but surely, okay, pull the control wires off. Pull the control wires off turn the power back on and hook the control wires up one by one to test each function at a time. Okay. Cause this will tell you a lot. If you put the R wire back on and then you have a trip of something, well, whatever's connected to that R wire is causing your trip. If you put the R wire back on, it's fine. But then you put the W1 back on and something weird happens. Well, now you can contribute the problem most likely to what's happening within the W1 circuit. So I do this all the time. I pull the control wires off and I put them on one by one to test each function at a time. And if something reveals itself as I'm doing this, it's usually, it's usually not always, but usually comes from that portion of the system that I'm testing. So just a little bit of a tip. 
Anyway, so now we're back to step five, full-on system diagnosis. Prior to this, there was no point starting a compressor or firing a burner or trying to figure out why the machine is not heating, not cooling, because we never had power, we never had airflow, or we never had water flow or glycol. Now we can do our full-on system diagnosis. Now we can throw our gauges on that system. Okay. Um, now we can now we can put our manometer on on the burner, see what the gas pressure is, stuff like that. Now, just keep in mind, anytime and anything in between, there's always exceptions to the rules, guys. That's why I stress this is a general guide to HVAC troubleshooting. Okay. Now, when we're f- when we're performing our system diagnosis, this is when we want to use all of our tools that we talked about. Okay, our manifold gauge, our temperature uh, meter and type K thermocouple or clamp or digital clamp, whatever you got to check superheat and subcooling. We want to use our hygrometer to check supply air, outdoor air, return air. Okay, our manometer to check across a filter, across a coil, um, static pressure of the duct system. Okay, there's, there's all these things that that go into a full system diagnosis. And we could make podcasts and articles on all of these topics. And there's so many variables involved in troubleshooting, right? That's why it's good to have a fundamental background. It's really good to have a fundamental background on refrigeration, okay, thermodynamics, how things operate, electrical controls. Once you have that that background, Once you know the fundamentals and the basic principles of all this stuff, you can put a a service call together very, very easily. Okay. So full-on system diagnosis requires all of these steps up to this point before we can perform that. Okay. And if you try to skip these steps, guys, you will most likely get caught up and misdiagnose something. All right, guys, let's summarize this real quick. Step one, customer communication. Keep a clear head on your way to the call, all right? When you get there, if the customer has any info for you, pictures, videos, or whatever, check them out because they will help you. Step two, visual inspection or using your HVAC sixth sense, basically using your senses, okay? Visual inspection can determine quite a bit of stuff, okay? Give you indication of what might be wrong before you even open up the tool bag. Step three, proper power, primary and secondary. Okay, step four, flow of heat exchange medium, air, water, glycol. Those are the three main ones you're going to see. Step five, full system diagnosis. Okay, so when you're going to start to implement all your diagnostic tools to figure out what might be wrong with the machine, okay? When you do figure it out, I want you to verify your diagnosis. Don't guess. Oh, I think it's that. There are ways to verify things, okay? For example, a control board. If you have power in, it's receiving an input, and nothing's coming out, there's a good chance there's a bad relay in that board. So check power going in, like the signal going in. Am I supposed to be getting a signal going out right now? If the answer is yes and it's not leaving, there's no output signal, 
most likely that board is bad. The contactor is not pulling in. Don't just assume it's the contactor. Make sure that you have power to it, to the coil. Okay. Make sure you have a common in place. If you go across a contactor and you have zero volts, but you check one side, it's got 24 and you check the other side and it's got 24. Guess what? You've lost your common. That's why you have zero across it. So I've seen this where people have changed contactors before, put it in and it still doesn't pull in. It's because they either didn't have power to the contactor or they didn't have a common because it broke or it wasn't hooked up. Okay. So verification of all these parts is going to be your secret to success. Going to the supply house, coming back, putting in the part and it still doesn't work is aggravating to you. It's aggravating to the customer. And if you're working for somebody, it's aggravating to your boss or your service manager. Okay. Remember guys, we are skilled trades detectives. We need to take evidence from many different places and form a big picture diagnosis. Okay. So like I said, guys, this is an article that you can reference at any time. I'm going to leave the link in the podcast notes for you to scroll down, click on it, check it out. It's there for you anytime you need it, guys. And do me a favor, guys. If you enjoyed this podcast, if you enjoy other podcasts, subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to. Maybe it's um, maybe it's Spotify, maybe it's Apple, maybe it's CastBox, maybe it's Podbean. Whatever, whatever you listen to, if you subscribe, that would be awesome. And also, if you guys could drop me, drop me a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to, because that will also help the podcast grow a little bit and get to more people, because more reviews, more engagement, the better. I really appreciate it, guys. Thank you for listening. I'm out. Happy HVACing. Thank you once again to the Master Group for sponsoring the podcast. Check you on the next one, guys. Check out master.ca. In the meantime, happy HVACing. Hope you enjoyed the show. Follow HVAC Know It All on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, LinkedIn, and anywhere else Gary feels like popping up. This has been a Two Smokes and a Coffee production.